Trade Bites, the podcast about trade policy. Hello and welcome once again to Trade Bites, the podcast series by the UK Trade Policy Observatory at the University of Sussex and hosted by me, Chris Horseman, Deputy Editor of the Trade Policy News Service, Borderlex. In this podcast series, we're putting on our metaphorical wellies and wading fearlessly into the murky old pond that is UK trade policy. And in this episode, our focus shifts eastward as we look at the rapidly evolving trade relationship between the UK and India. As the world's second most populous country, India is an emerging player in global trade. And of course, it has deep historical and cultural ties with Britain. In recent times, India has acquired a bit of a reputation as being part of the awkward squad within the international trade community. The received wisdom was that New Delhi wasn't interested in negotiating trade deals with other countries or in joining regional trade agreements. But there are signs that that may be changing. India has sounded enthusiastic about the idea of a trade deal with the UK, perhaps in response to growing fears about the impact of China's emergence as a trade superpower in the Asian region, or perhaps because it senses opportunities to benefit from Britain's new status outside of the EU. So what are the prospects for UK-India trade? What's India's game plan, and how likely is it that it will achieve its objectives? I'm joined today by three excellent guests who will be sharing their insights on this key topic. I'm joined once again by Dr. Mattia Di Ubaldo, research fellow at the University of Sussex Business School and a fellow of the UK Trade Policy Observatory. It's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Amrita Saha, research fellow at the UK-based Institute of Development Studies. And I'm joined also by Professor Abhijit Das, head of the Centre for WTO Studies at the Indian Institute of Foreign Trade. Many thanks to all of you for joining us today and welcome to Trade Bites. Mattia, if I could start with you, what would you say is the current status of UK-India trade relations? Well, India and the UK are currently relatively important trade partners for one another. And this is despite the fact that UK-India trade has so far been facilitated only in one direction, that is trade flowing from India to the UK and only in goods trade. So the only arrangement in place at the moment uh, that I've been hinting at is UK generalized system of preferences. This is a unilateral scheme that applies since January 2021, post-Brexit, although it's got the same structure and rules as the GSP of the EU. Now, what this scheme does is it offers preferential access to India. It is preferential relative to other countries with whom the UK doesn't have any other agreements. And this implies lower tariffs for Indian exports lower than the UK global tariff. So there is a preferential margin applied on on UK imports from India. Two things to mention about this scheme is that the coverage is not complete. So only about two thirds of the products are eligible for this preferential treatment. And another important aspect is that India has already lost preferential access to the UK in a number of sectors. This is because of a mechanism called graduation that we might be able to touch upon later on but it's problematic for India. So the scheme has its flaws, and probably the most important one is that it does not cover services trade. 
So I would say there is a large potential for growth in the future. Would UK and India be able to come up with an alternative arrangement? Amrita Saha, how important is the UK for Indian exporters and vice versa? How important a market is India for people in the UK? Well, I think that undoubtedly the UK and India are important trading partners. India is UK's sixth largest non-EU trading partner. When we look at bilateral trade flows in goods and services, these are in fact substantial for the two countries. And services trade is especially important, constituting about 40% of the total value of bilateral trade. In fact, when we look a bit deeper into these numbers, in 2019, the UK shipped close to £8 billion worth of goods and services to India. And conversely, the UK imported almost £15 billion worth of goods and services from India. Also, I think it's important to note that this growing trade is facilitated by strong investment links. So the UK stands as the sixth largest investor in the Indian economy, and India is in fact the second largest investor in the UK. And I think trade has also grown as business to business and business to government relations have been built over the years through extensive policy and advocacy, and that has been backed by a huge Indian diaspora in the UK, as well as through strategic advisory businesses and non-profit organizations. Abhijit does. India is, of course, a developing country. It is an emerging country, but it does have significant issues with poverty and so on. I'm just wondering what role India's trade policy plays in its overall sort of development strategy. India has considerable stake in international trade. The ratio of international trade that is, imports and exports of goods and services to India's GDP, has been around 40 to 45% in recent years. This is higher in comparison with the corresponding figures for China, Indonesia, US, and Japan. India's trade policy is generally in sync with the overall development imperatives of the country. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. The agriculture sector is the main source of employment. However, most of the farmers have very small farm holdings and are engaged in subsistence agriculture. Thus, an important objective of India's trade policy and also in trade negotiations is to protect the livelihood of farmers. This concern gets articulated in India's attempts at retaining the flexibility to use tariffs as a policy instrument for shielding farmers from import competition. Hence, India's reluctance to open its agriculture markets in trade negotiations. Let me give you another example. An important interface between India's development imperatives and trade policy is the need to address hunger and ensure food security for the poor. With almost 190 million people being undernourished, providing food security is one of the most important objectives of the government. In this regard, an important policy instrument used by the government is public stock holding for food security purposes. As is well known, India had to negotiate really hard at the WTO during 2013 and 2014 in a bid to ensure that its scheme of public stock holding does not get unraveled by WTO obligations and commitments. 
So, of course, within the UK, the big developments over the past five years or so has been Brexit. And that obviously changes the relationship between India and the UK. Amrita, I'm just wondering what changes has Brexit made? How has it changed India's perception, perhaps, of the UK as a trading partner? Let me start by saying that the Brexit deal implies that you know the UK, EU, UK goods trade remains free of tariffs and quotas. But of course, there will be customs and there's extra paperwork, which I believe has already created some disruption. Now, on one hand, there seems to be opportunity for India in this to explore further prospects in services sector as a result. And this could be both in the EU and the UK, as you know, I think at the moment it's not very clear how or if the Brexit pact may actually cover services. However, on the other hand, one way this affects UK-India trade specifically is the concern that many Indian companies actually had their base in the UK for wider EU operations. And they are now likely to face significant trade barriers that may arise from the new UK-EU trade and cooperation agreement. And in fact, any new frictions could deter Indian investments and Indian investors may not undertake new FDI that could otherwise serve as sort of a production platform for exports to the EU, or in fact, may even induce current investors to downsize their operations. So while there's opportunity There are also risks, and what happens on balance, I think, remains to be seen. So the UK and India recently announced that they were launching an enhanced trade partnership. Now, this was due to be something that Boris Johnson announced when he met Prime Minister Modi in New Delhi recently. That visit had to be cancelled, sadly, because of the COVID-19 situation. But what does that enhanced trade partnership consist of? And do we think that it's like a springboard, going to be a springboard to a fully fledged trade deal between the two sides in due course? So yes, the UK and India have announced the new enhanced trade partnership. And this was at the virtual summit, which was held in May this year. And I think this has rightly generated, in fact, a lot of interest, of course, with the significant scope for growth in trade on both ends, as well as the promise of working towards a free trade deal. Now, I think the ETP does create immediate opportunities. For example, UK businesses in India, for them, this is likely to create opportunities in sectors such as food and drink, life sciences, and I think most importantly, of course, various uh, services subsectors. Certain non-tariff barriers on fruit, medical devices, etc. will also be lowered, and this would allow UK businesses to export more to India. A number of key investment deals have also been agreed with uh, new Indian investment into the UK, and this is in health and also in technology. And finally, yes, I think the intention is the groundwork towards a more comprehensive free trade deal. But its success may in fact be down to certain very specific issues, and I'll just mention them very briefly. I think domestic commercial interests on both sides would need to better correspond with what the ambitions for the FTA look like. Of course, there is a lot of promise, but there has also been a lot of skepticism in the past. So for example, 
India has underlined the lack of flexibility from the UK on movement restrictions, of course, exceptions being some recent progress here. In the past, there has also been lengthy processes of securing business permits in India, which have been sticking points for the UK. There have also been difficulties with registration of new pharma companies under food standards. So I think overall, success will be highly reliant on deeper cooperation on these issues and how the negotiations go forward. Abhijit, in my introduction, I said perhaps rather unkindly that India was part of the awkward squad when it came to international trade and negotiating trade deals. For example, it pulled out of the RCEP agreement, the pan-Asian trade bloc, which for which an agreement was struck last year. Can we expect that bilateral trade negotiations with the UK might proceed more smoothly than perhaps previous initiatives have? Right, Chris. India's development challenges imposed considerable constraints on the country in international trade negotiations. Instead of characterizing India as being reluctant to do trade deals, I would say that it is perhaps cautious in trade negotiations. A quick look at the challenges posed by RCEP negotiations. These challenges were unique. Threat of cheap and subsidized imports of manufactured goods from China, low-priced imports of agriculture products from Australia and New Zealand, So some of these concerns do not appear to have been addressed in the RCEP negotiations. And therefore, it's not surprising that India was compelled to pull out from these negotiations at the last stage. However, I expect the India-UK bilateral trade negotiations to be less difficult from RCEP negotiations, particularly from the perspective of goods trade, There is considerable complementarity in the structure of trade between the two countries. They largely specialize in different sectors. To a certain extent, this reduces the threat to the domestic industry from imports from each other. However, certain other areas, including intellectual property rights, government procurement, sustainability, and electronic commerce, I do apprehend that the negotiations could be difficult. If UK maintains a high level of ambitions in these areas, then do not be surprised if the negotiations repeatedly hit roadblocks. Mattia, from the UK's point of view, what do you think the key objectives are in negotiating this new trade relationship with India? What are the key objectives? What perhaps will be the biggest problems on the UK side? Well, the What is often said is the big objective for the UK is to be able to face lower tariffs when exporting to India. And there's still very high tariffs in key sectors such as automobile or whiskey exports for the UK. They're relevant sectors. Definitely being able to liberalize services trade between UK and India will be one of the major objectives of these negotiations. I see, though, some difficulties in things such as the absence of GDPR regulation in India, which might affect greatly negotiations on what could be achieved on digital trade. I mean, how difficult to solve these issues will depend on how willing the UK is to sort of accept laxer rules for instance, on data protection, currently the UK applies the highest standards of sort of data protection as a former EU member. Although the UK has shown its willingness to perhaps shift away from these sort of strict EU rules, there's been a shift already in its agreement with Japan. Although Japan also applies very high standards on data protection, 
But then the UK has already shown to be willing to join CPTPP, which would you know, mean a further shift towards freer flow of data. So these are issues that um, the UK may be willing to deal with to strike a good agreement that could facilitate its trade in digitally enabled services. A very small point, Mattia mentioned about data protection. Now, in this area, I'm a bit optimistic because currently the Indian parliament is considering a personal data protection bill. And if we compare EU's GDPR with this personal data protection bill, then there are lots of uh, overlaps. There may be some gaps, but uh, I do think that for India, that is the way to go forward. And this personal data protection bill, if it gets passed by the parliament, then that would be an important step towards reducing possible friction in the area of personal data protection. It's often said that one of the key political problems for the UK might be this question of visa restrictions and making it easier for Indian people to move into the UK. But is it possible perhaps that because the UK has now left the EU and its migration regime basically treats EU citizens and non-EU citizens the same, do you think that might simplify things a little bit in terms of finding a suitable agreement in this area? Of course, I think visa restrictions have been an important sticking point, but I think it is important to note that there has been some recent progress in this direction, which I think is a promising sign. And just to add to that, you know, of course, I think we're very much aware of the difficulties in resolving a lot of the issues, but what would be critical, and this is a related point, is that you know, business-to-business interests need to correspond. And I think there are quite a lot of positives there which suggest that, you know, there is willingness to negotiate these sticking points. The UK government, as well as the Indian government, has involved businesses in the negotiations. And I think progress is likely to be, you know, facilitated with business participations. And we should be positive in terms of what we you know, expect out of these uh, negotiations. Just recently, the UK government is asking for views from the businesses and the public to help shape a future UK-India free trade agreement. Okay, now usually when two countries are talking about doing a trade deal, all of the focus is on tariffs, on goods, But of course, India has a very strong and is known as being a strong provider of services, especially in sectors like IT. I wonder whether the political economy discussions in these upcoming talks will actually have more of a focus on services than they do on goods, which would be rather unusual. Might the UK-India talks be a rare exception to that rule, or is it all going to ultimately come down to tariffs on cars and whiskey? Amrita, what's your view? Yes, Chris, I think there are certainly exceptions here. So let me sort of start by saying again that you know there are several complementary trade objectives here. And this is, you know, very pronounced, especially in healthcare and pharmaceutical sector, where India is a leading global player. So we should most certainly expect services to have a greater stake as negotiations go forward in terms of deeper cooperation. I do think that majority of the quick wins at the moment, especially with the enhanced trade partnership, may be focused on goods trade, as Matia has mentioned. But I think there is quite a lot in parallel for services and for technology 
as Abhijit was mentioning, which I think makes for a very interesting political economy dynamic indeed. I would just like to reinforce the point that Amrita is making on the relevance of services, especially up for UK imports coming from India. The share is about 50%, so half of what UK imports from India currently is in services. This is striking in comparison to the share, for instance, that comes from China, which is 5%. 5% of UK imports from China are services. This high share of services in UK imports from India is higher if we compare that even to advanced countries such as Japan and Australia. So it is indeed a very particular relation that is being established here between these two countries. And another sort of reinforcing point is a lot of the trading services that Amrita has referred to in management consulting or professional services comes from firms that are affiliated with each other. So this stresses the importance of investment between UK and India that gives rise to this kind of trade. Although it points also to the importance of being able to protect meaningfully property rights of investors in India. And the last couple of decisions against property rights of investors have put India's reputation a little bit at risk. So this is something that will have to be worked on, I think, to establish a solid partnership. Now, the UK has made a lot of its desire to pivot to the Asia-Pacific region, certainly in terms of its trade strategy. It's currently negotiating accession to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, CPTPP. Now, Abhijit, from what you said earlier, it seems unlikely that there's going to be any prospect of India wanting to join CPTPP anytime soon. But I just wonder from the Indian perspective, how is this UK pivot to the Asia-Pacific region, how is it viewed within India? Is it viewed as an encouraging sign or is it something to worry about? Attention of any country towards Asia is always welcome, Chris, be it United States, be it UK. So certainly this will be a welcome move. And as you say, India is unlikely to be joining or making moves towards joining CPTPP anytime soon. And just to give you one reason, some of the provisions on intellectual property rights which exist in CPTPP would create considerable problems for the Indian generic pharmaceutical sector. That's just one illustration. There are many. So despite The growing importance of CPTPP, I do not envisage India being there anytime soon. So as we move towards wrapping up our podcast, I'm interested to ask each of you what broader impact you see from a deeper UK-India trade relationship. How is it going to affect life, business, trade in the UK and India? Amrita, perhaps I could start with you. How do you see things evolving from here? And what do you think the sort of perhaps a slightly longer term impact of these developments might be? Thanks, Chris. So let me now sort of point towards the direction of development impact. So uh, there has been a lot of attention on the promise for creation of employment, for skill building, for jobs. And I think a deeper UK-India trade relationship does present opportunities there. But with, you know, as any trade agreement, there are likely to be both winners as well as losers from expanding bilateral trade, from expanding investments. And that would be the case between UK as well as in India. So for broader impacts, I think it would be really critical that while we work on the trade objectives furthering trade, attracting investments, 
we must not lose sight of identifying and better protecting any displaced workers, any lost jobs, and we prioritize technology and innovation as well as skill building where there is a lot of promise for a UK-India partnership. But overall, I think it is important to keep the objective of contribution to poverty alleviation front and center for this partnership. And I think that would be really important. I think secondly, the geopolitical factors, and some of that has been mentioned already, would be quite important as the UK and India are strong economies and a deep cooperation, a deeper trade agreement would definitely be seen as a breakthrough for the global economy more generally. And finally, I think the UK has been a key partner in India's growing partnership in triangular cooperation. So where there are also third countries in the picture. And that could have important global implications for, say, countries in Africa, Latin America. And I think there could be a very significant contribution such cooperation, including third countries, could make in addressing not just the current health crisis, but I think for longer term development priorities. Abhijit, what's your view of the potential, perhaps, for the uh, emerging UK-India relationship? I think the potential, Chris, is immense. If we look at the share of UK and India's trade basket, it is rather low. And the FTA or deeper trade integration between the two sides certainly will help India diversify its export markets, perhaps diversify its sources of imports as well. So that I think will be one very important objective from the Indian side through this FTA. And second, of course, is seeing if the deeper trade integration can help India access frontier technologies. Difficult, no doubt, but certainly that is an objective to be aspired towards. And finally, if India and UK successfully conclude these negotiations, of course, protecting the sensitivities of each side as well as having a fairly good level of ambition, then it would really send a strong message to the world that India is back in the game for trade agreements. Mattia, would you agree with that upbeat assessment? Definitely. No, I definitely strongly agree with Abhijit and Amrita's points. I think that for the UK, while other projects such as joining CPTPP appear more sort of a political move than an economic project, a UK-India FTA might be much more welcome on economic grounds for the various reasons that we have been discussing. India is far away, it is emerging, but it is very well connected to the UK for, you know, we've mentioned colonial past, the Indian diaspora in the UK, and the complementarities from an economic point of view. In terms of broader impacts for India, I think that locking in a deal with the UK would make it a more attractive probably destination for investment from other countries as well, especially if property rights are going to be sort of more solidly protected. And then finally, engaging with the UK on several of these points might perhaps help unlocking an agreement with the EU as well, which has been a target for several years now. And that, I suspect, will be the subject for a whole separate podcast at some point in the future. But there we must leave it. Many thanks indeed to my guests today, to Mattia Di Ubaldo, to Amrita Saha, and to Abhijit Daz. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening in. So please join us again soon when we do it all again for the next episode of Trade Bites. 
Please subscribe to our Trade Bites podcast series brought to you by the UK Trade Policy Observatory with funding from the Economic and Social Research Council.